I have a very pressing question to ask you. Okay. If you open up a bag of chips and you grab some chips from it, and one of them happens to be green around the edges, do you eat the green chip? No. Do you eat any of the other chips? Yes. Do you eat the chip that was green up to the green part? No. Why don't you eat the green chip? Because it'll probably taste bad. Hmm. I just had some chips, and one of them had a little bit of green on it, and I was like, meh. It tasted fine. It tasted like salt, because that's what chips are. Sure. (laughs) Have you ever made chips? Like sliced potatoes very thinly and put them in the oven and baked them. I've done that. Okay. That is a way of making chips. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not like the kind you would get in a bag. Have you made chips? I mean, yeah, I I don't know that they're the kind that you would get in a bag because they were a lot less salty. But you know, sliced a sliced a potato with a mandolin, threw it in a deep fryer. Yeah, deep deep fryer is the that's the key. Yes. Yeah, nobody wants those baked chips. <laughs> I mean, other than all of the people who buy baked baked chips. lays. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to avoid using brand names on the show, Derek. Since, but... since they haven't paid for placement. Exactly. Or have they? Is this all a big lace advertisement? <laughs> but anyway, if I uh, come down ill in the next few days, it's because I ate that green chip. Okay. I figure it's just penicillin. It's all right. Was somebody giving you crap about eating the green chip? No, I was just thinking about it. I was like, you know, I regularly kind of like, if it's just a little bit of green on a chip, I'm just like, meh, it's fine. Yeah. No, it's it fine. just, it, it, it could taste bitter. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, science. We'll do some, we're doing science. Not really. We're doing about as much science as we do engineering. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. How's it going? It's going all right. How's your How was your RailsConf? RailsConf was good. You know, the onesies and the stickers were very popular, so I was pleased. <laughs> That's a sign of a successful conference. Um, How many stickers can you give away? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I realized afterwards, I'm like, I'm that guy who, when the family goes on a family vacation, gets like Griffin Family Vacation 2017 t-shirts made. (laughs) Griffin University. everyone to wear them. (laughs) And then gives out stickers that say Griffin Family Vacation to everybody else who's not a (laughs) Griffin. Exactly. No, but come on. Those Baby Ruby stickers are so cute. They are pretty good. We'll have to post a picture of them in the show notes for people that weren't there uh and then they can request that you somehow get them some yeah once i'm back in america i will happily mail out stickers but <laughs> mail them to you from canada unless you're in canada if you're in canada and would like a sticker let me know if you're not it would be unreasonably expensive for me to mail them a canadian citizen can send mail or a canadian somebody living in in canadia as they call it can send mail to somebody else in canada with like one of those inner office envelopes right like there's no you just write their name on it, stick it in a box, and it gets there. Really? No, I have no idea. I'm just kidding. It's a bad okay. joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, RailsConf was good. How did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it, actually. Like, I got to do my talk first and got that over with, and it was well-received. Better than I thought it, better received than I thought it would be, which isn't to say I thought it would not be received well, but the feedback was pretty good. I mean, some people were really disappointed that that you just couldn't come up with random names for things on the spot. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, the video may, might be up. If, if the video is up by the time we release this episode, I'll post a link to it in the show notes. If not, then I don't know. I'll tweet it out when it comes out so you can follow me on Twitter. But uh, in the question and answer thing, I talked about rest and in the question and answer thing, people were just asking me like what I would name resources that do X, which I should have seen coming, but it's kind of hard to do in five seconds flat with no context right. and like <laughs> so that no, part it's one of those you spend 10 minutes thinking about it and come up with a good name <laughs> not being able to come up with a good name instantly on the spot on stage does not disprove the point <laughs> but yeah anyway it, it was uh, it was a good conference and then once i got it over with i was actually able to like the next day we focused a lot on the podcast but i still like met a whole bunch of people if i met you at RailsConf and you came up and you said you like the show or some open source stuff that i do that was totally awesome and I did get to meet a number of people that we've interacted with just through Twitter and things like that on the show before. And that was really cool to do that and see some of their talks and such. What was your favorite talk? Hmm. I mean, I like Justin's keynote, Justin Searles' keynote on the second day, was it? Beginning of the second day, end of the second day, something like that. I liked that. I liked um, Eileen's talk on system tests and Rails because it gave me ideas. And I actually ended up spending a little bit of time with Sam at the um, exhibition. Ex- nope. What do they call those things? The exhibition the showroom, hall. Yeah, the exhibition hall. At the showroom floor, we kind of pulled up some couch On the space. tilde couch. Yeah, on the tilde couch, and uh, or the skylight couch, and started hacking on uh, trying to get that to work in our spec. So that was cool. I don't know. There were lots of like, just... I like just kind of soaking it all in, and mostly I just like le- meeting the people. And this time, this year, I was, I was I think, made the smart decision to um, take it easy on, like, nighttime activities and just, like... The most I did was like go out for dinner and then I went back and either just hung out in the lobby for a little bit and went to bed or just went straight to bed. Yeah. Uh, and it was fine. It was great. Um, I had plenty of energy during the day to talk to people. And it's always interesting that last day. I think everybody's kind of like, oh, last day. <laughs> everybody's kind of like, <laughs> you again. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, uh, RailsConf is definitely a bit on the long side. Yeah. I feel like it used to be even longer. I feel like there were years where it was four days long. Um, Probably. But. I mean, most regional conferences don't go for, I mean, a lot of them are single day. Mm-hmm. Most of them are not more than two day, which is a, one day almost always feels too short. Two days feels like it's a little bit too short. <laughs> Three days is fine. It's fine. You just have to recognize that it's going to be, a, you know, going to pace yourself. Yeah. You know, if you have difficulty like meeting and talking to new people, it can be really exhausting. Yeah, um, definitely. But thanks for introducing yourself to us folks. And uh, it was awesome to see everybody there. I was really pleased, at least for, with the from the talks that I saw. There were just a lot of like first time speakers who gave really solid talks and didn't fall into all of the first time speaker pitfalls. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we had a higher average quality level per presentation overall, but we didn't have as many speakers this year who were like the ridiculously huge names like oh sucks to be anybody up in a slot against them which i was i was i'm happy because like i feel always feel bad for everybody who's up against those people yeah and i definitely did like i mean i knew some of the people who were speaking in my slot but i also wasn't like oh sandy metz is speaking (laughs) alongside the thing um which was nice and uh yeah not not to say anything bad about sandy but i feel like sandy should be exclusively keynote material at this point yeah because you can't put her talk up against anybody else's and hope that people go to the other things um but she didn't speak there this year so you know lots of there were lots of new speakers and like i didn't go on wednesday i didn't get an opportunity to go to a lot of talks because we were recording 
basically all day um, with various people episodes that you will hear kind of spaced throughout the next several weeks i imagine potentially Um, you've already heard one when this comes out yeah we're not sure depending on how we end up (laughs) releasing them but i did get a chance to like kind of like fly by some rooms like when we were between things i would just be like i'm gonna go check out this one and like there was one i can't remember specifically so if this is your talk i'm sorry but like there was one on react that i kind of like sat in the doorway for about 10 minutes and i was like oh this is going well like this person's very clearly prepared and doing a great job and then like i don't know various other things i've started to watch uh i did miss alex's talk on contributing to rails or which involved diving. like a two-minute talk uh, <laughs> portion about your pull request. Which I felt bad because I had committed to seeing like two different things at the same time. Like I wanted to go see that because I'd interacted with Alex a couple times, not because I knew he was going to mention my name, but because I'd interacted with him a couple times and been like, oh, he's a nice person. I should go see his talk because I am available at that time. But then I also told uh, other people that I would see their talk at the same exact time. And it just so happened that I passed the other person's room first and was like, oh, I guess I'll go here. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I did watch that like some of the videos are starting to trickle out and I did watch the video and stuff So if you asked me to see your talk and I wasn't able to see your talk because there were a couple people that asked us to go see their talks I will definitely watch the video of it and let you know what I thought. Yeah Cool. What have you been working on since RailsConf? Diesel. Yeah, and baby, but the last two days diesel <laughs> Put the baby aside Put the baby aside um <laughs> probably go feed her at some point Hmm. she's probably hungry at this point it's been about two days (laughs) no um it's actually it's actually been really weird watching because i i just haven't had time for open source much lately and so it's been weird like i'll occasionally you know open up open up my getter client and be like ah there are 200 unread messages in the diesel getter let me start going through these and then they're just they've all been handled and like the other contributors are fixing bugs and working on new features and like it's just sort of chugging along without me, and it's kind of like weird to see the project do that. I guess I don't know. I mean, I've obviously been a part of projects that do that, but I've never created one from the ground up that actually like persisted. You know, had people interested in maintaining it beyond my involvement. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Which is nice because it's it's let me when I do have time to work on it, I'm able to focus more on some of the deeper refactorings I've been wanting to do for ages, but haven't had time to because like, oh my god, I need to address X, Y, and Z issues. And so one of the things I'm working on right now is figuring out how to make multi-table joins work. And then um, the big one that I've been working on the last two days, though, was reworking how we handle all the passes we do over our AST to be more traditionally structured. Hmm. Why does it matter to be traditionally structured? It makes it easier to add new AST passes. And also Hmm. for people who are familiar with compilers, or okay. just AST visitors to uh, contribute to the code base. So we, we have three-ish main passes that we do. We have the two SQL pass, which is just, you know, give me the SQL. We have is safe to cache as prepared statement, where we go determine if the AST contains any nodes, where that's the existence of that node indicates the existence of a potentially unbounded number of SQL queries, which means that like we don't put an upper limit on the size of the prepared statement cache, it's bounded to the number of queries that you execute in your application, and we just avoid doing it for things that generate an unbounded number of queries. So in SQL literal nodes, because I have no way of knowing if that literal SQL was constructed dynamically or not, anything that is uh, an insert or update statement, there's technically a handful of insert statements that we could cache, but it's just not worth it. Um, And then 
in the general case, in certain update statements are unbound. The, the, the number of queries that can generate is the number of um, fields being set, potentially factorial. Which I, that is technically bounded, but it's a pre, it's it's a pretty large upper bound, so we avoid that. And then batch insert, of course, is unbounded. Those are the those are the main ones. And then the last pass that we do is collect all the bind parameters because you have to do that at some point. Right. So the first pass, uh, we actually skip most of the time. I guess we we technically have a fourth AST pass, but it's not really implemented as an AST pass. It's implemented as a like this is just always a compile time constant, which the other ones mostly are modulo some things with boxing and type erasure but the last one we do is is this query uniquely identified by its type which is basically yes unless it's boxed or contains a sql literal node those are basically the only two types which where the query the the sql that's generated cannot be uniquely identified by the type and then insert and update as well and in for that matter Mm -hmm. box though is the one case where it's potentially safe to cache but it is never uniquely identifiable by its type and so that determines whether in our prepared statement cache whether we just use the type id so we just know what the query is or whether we go through the query builder every time and then hash the sql string to find the prepared statement what do you mean by boxed so basically hidden behind a pointer okay and the reason that you would do that with diesel in particular is because you don't want the query to be uniquely identified by its type because if you assign if you have a variable x Mm -hmm. x has a specific type Okay. You can't assign it a new value. You, you, you can rebind X. You can do like let X equal something else, but you can't like conditionally assign X to something that is of a different type. Okay. So if you wanted to condi- conditionally say, if this uh, query parameter is present in the, in the request params, add this filter mm-hmm. or add this where clause to the query, right? That would normally change the type of the query. Okay. So you wouldn't be able to be like, let query equals, you know, users table if, params q filter right. search equals whatever so what you do is you box it so that way the type is some query where we've erased all of the information we know about it other than the table it's coming from the sql type of the select clause and the database you are planning on executing it against because those are the, the things that we need to verify the validity of any future calls that you make but then uh we don't know the specific types of everything inside of it so rather than like, we know the value of this type, which means we know where the function is. Instead, the data is stored behind um, what's called a fat pointer. So it's a pointer to the data and then a pointer to the V table, which includes the location of all the functions that it calls. Um, mm-hmm. So it does all of that at runtime rather than at compile time, which means that the query builder basically is twice as slow in those cases because the optimizer just can't optimize as many things. Right. And then also we have to go through the query builder every time you want to execute it because we need to get the SQL string to look it up in the prepared statement cache. So unless you're bo- unless a query is boxed, we almost never run the two SQL pass. We basically run that exactly once when we populate the prepared statement cache. But we do, uh, for every execution of the query, run the other two AST passes, the determining if it's safe to cache the prepared statement. And um, actually, we don't... Huh, I just <laughs> realized we can... To- well, there's no point in skipping that AST pass because it, it uh, unless the query is boxed, it's a free AST pass. But technically, we could check to see if it's in the cache before we check if it's safe to cache. Right now, we check to see if it's safe to cache and then go see if it's in the cache. Mm-hmm. But we definitely always run the collect bind parameters AST pass because like, we just have to. So right now, the way that, that that is implemented is just we have a trait, which is like an interface in Java, and it has three methods on it. One called to SQL, one called collect binds, and one called is safe to cache repaired. Mm-hmm. And other than to SQL, the implementation of the other two methods is incredibly boring on almost every single type. 
it's basically always implemented as call this method on each of my fields and return some combination of those. Yep. So that means it, it just is incredibly painful and tedious if I want to add a new AST pass, which there was one that I wanted to add yesterday morning, which is why I went down I, I went down and decided to just finally do this refactoring. I don't remember what the AST pass I wanted to add was, which is annoying because I finished the refactoring and now I don't remember why I did it. <laughs> um, but just because I have to implement this method for every single node in our AST. Mm-hmm. And the implementation is incredibly boring in almost all cases. And that's just because, like, I didn't implement it in a traditional AST fashion where we have, where we use effectively the visitor pattern. So it's very easy for me to add new data types because it just has to implement these three methods, but it's very difficult for me to add new uh, functions over all of those data types. This is sort of, right, one of the classical computer science problems that you have a set of types and you have a set of functions and you want to be able to add both new functions and new types and, and have that be done easily and cleanly. A lot of people also add the constraint of without recompiling existing code, which I think is kind of a silly constraint and not really the point of the problem. But um, <laughs> So what you wanted was a framework where you have this pattern for visiting all of these AST nodes and then you run these functions on them, and that's not what you have currently? Right. I want to I wanna have the single function that they implement, which is here's how to traverse the AST. Right. And then at the leaf nodes have whatever interesting behavior there. Right. So typically one would do that with the visitor pattern. And there's sort of like different levels of visitoriness that you can go uh, on how hard on how full on you go with the visitor pattern. Like you can go full textbook Java enterprise patterns, visitor pattern, right, <laughs> where you have visit for every possible data type. And it's incredibly painful to add new data types because you have to enumerate over it for every single AST pass on your visitor itself. Or represent it as visit object or whatever whatever super class you have. I didn't really want to go that route. The level I was looking to go towards was have a um, an AST visitor trait, which would have all of the various methods that were needed for each of my AST passes on it. And the implementation of those methods would default to a no-op. And so I would fill in the implementation of those methods on the AST visitors that mattered. Right. Now, the issue with that came down to what in Rust is known as object uh, a problem of object safety. So this is sort of just a trade-off that in other languages is implicitly made for you, but Rust is making the performance trade-offs explicit. So what's important is that this query fragment, our, our, the trait that represents a thing that is a member of our AST, it needs to be object safe. So I need to be able to put it in a box and call all of the methods on it. So there are basically three restrictions to that. The um, first is that I can't have generic functions in it because when you box it, right, you have to have a pointer to each of the methods provided by that trait. If a, a function is generic, there are potentially unlimited number of instantiations for all possible data types that could get passed in there. You can't have that. You can't represent that as a single function. The way you work around that is typically by whatever the thing that you were trying to be generic over, you also box that. Okay. So that way, now now you're not taking type T where T implements some trait. You're taking a value that is known to implement T, but the exact implementation and type are hidden behind a pointer. Then the other the other two restrictions that are less important for this context are you can't take self by value because you don't know how big self is or what the type of self is. And then you can't have any methods that don't take... You can't have class methods, basically. You can only have instance methods because otherwise you don't know... Again, it, you can never really reference... The, the type of self yep. because you don't know what, what type self is. Yep. 
So to make query fragment object safe, I would have to have a version that took a pointer to an AST visitor, which would mean AST visitor would have to be object safe. An AST visitor would have to have this to SQL function, which is given the type of the data and the SQL type that we are trying to bind it to and the backend that we're uh, working against, figure out what bytes we need and generate those so that we can send them down the wire. And that method in particular is one that cannot be made object safe. It needs to be generic. I cannot make it not be generic without absurd performance penalties and difficulties that bubbled elsewhere in the library. Um, and I, I actually used to have it set up in a way that was object safe a long, long, long time ago back in 0.1 and it was painful as all hell, which is why I got rid of it. <laughs> but I'd forgotten about that until I tried to do that. So that didn't work at all. So I end up with is this kind of funky situation where I'm representing my AST passes as an enum. So basically it has most of the benefits of the visitor pattern, but I couldn't have new AST passes added by third party crates. Okay. It, it has to be this closed set of known AST passes. So it's easy for diesel to add new AST passes, which is really the main benefit that I care about here because this is, you know, our internals. But it's still just kind of funky. And I've been very closely looking at the generated assembly as I've been going through this refactoring. <laughs> okay. Just because, like... As you no, do. I'm, as one does, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, because I'm concerned. Because ultimately what this means is... And this is gonna, this performance implication is going to be true for box queries no matter what. But that's just going to happen. But the uh, the performance implications end up being, to a certain extent, a bunch of conditionals of... If we're doing this pass, do this behavior. If we're doing this pass, do this behavior. If we're doing this pass, do this behavior. As opposed to just do this behavior and that's it. Mm -hmm. Right? The, the, all of those checks and branches could potentially add some cost. Now, ideally what happens is the optimizer inlines all these functions together and then sees, okay, we constructed the value to be this AST pass. We know for sure which of the, of the variants of this enum we have eliminate all of the conditionals and go back to essentially the generated assembly that we had before, which seems to mostly be holding up. Although I think I'm going to have to put some annotations in a few places where a function would not normally be inlined because it's too large and tell the compiler, no, actually always inline this function, please, because I'm relying on you doing that to eliminate a large number of instructions. Right. Because even just some benchmarking like on some really naive passes just with all of our tiny little AST nodes, even even when their their implementation for various passes is a no-op, and even if we can prove it's a no-op for a given call, if the function call itself isn't inline, just saving all of the registers that are potentially manipulated ends up adding up in terms of time. This level of performance stuff is usually only measurable on uh, the SQLite benchmarks for like queries that are returning very small number of records. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I care about that use case, so... <laughs> It's good. I mean, my main my main goal there is just for arbitrarily complex queries, trying to keep the query builder sub microsecond, which we're more or less at. Um, again, not necessarily true for boxed queries, but boxed queries seem to top out at about two microseconds, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Boxed queries will, of course, always grow linearly with the number of nodes in that AST. There's no way around that. At that point, I'm walking to ARL AST, effect, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, it was just an interesting kind of exercise and I end up with something that you know I'm, I certainly other people have done it that way and I'm, I'm would assume that people who are more educated in traditional computer science than I am would look at what I came up with and see it as a huge anti-pattern which is probably the case but it was it, it, and I end up with something that I don't often see in the wild and 
I've been spending a few days thinking about it and have not f- come up with a better direction to take it just given the constraints that I have to work within both in terms of type safety and performance. So so you started this try trying to say by saying you wanted to make something a little more familiar and you're still it's more familiar <laughs> than what we had before. Okay. Or if nothing else, it's easier for me to add new passes, which when I remember whatever the hell AST pass <laughs> I wanted to add yesterday will be very useful to me. Well, and you also mentioned like not like at one point the solution. I don't remember if that's the solution ended up landing on, but the solution would be that it'd be easy for diesel to add additional passes, but crates would not be able to like what what would a crate want to do to add? What, what kind of thing do you think a crate would want to do? And I guess if you could remember this, you'd be able to remember the thing that. <laughs> no, I mean, the reason a crate might want to do this is if there's some important like, OK, here's an example. Well, you'd want to prove this in the type system with diesel, but ignoring ign- ign- nah, I guess maybe not. OK, so um, SQL Server requires that you have an order by clause. OK, so SQL Server requires that queries have an order by clause. Yeah. Wow. How did I not know uh, that? I feel like I would yeah, have you, that. You, you have to provide a consistent ordering for SQL Server. Or maybe that's only if you're using limit and offset. I'm pretty sure it requires it all the time, but I could be mistaken. Anyway, one could, in theory, it, with diesel, you'd probably want to do this more at the type level, but ignoring that, like, just as a spitballing for a random example, they could theoretically, right, want to add a new AST pass, which is, hey, does this contain an order by clause? And then, if not, add one. Okay. That's pro- like that specific use case probably would be a, a terrible actual example, but just off of uh, like as the example that sounds kind of reasonable to prove that maybe it exists. Again, it's a very se- it, was, it was a very secondary concern. Is that what I'm? I'm guessing you probably don't know this offhand, but is that like what the SQL Server driver for Rails is probably doing? Like adding an order by if it's not there already. Oh, I guess Rails already yeah. does that as a default. No, Rails does not. I thought it did. I thought it ordered by ID now. Uh, we used to, we did for one version and then immediately reverted it because it messes with indexes on every other driver. Oh. All right. Some methods will automatically add ID. Like, fir- uh, like, like if you call first. first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, SQL ser- the SQL Server driver is doing exactly that. It's looking to see if there's an order by clause and then adding one if it's not present. Interesting. I wrote things against SQL Server all the time. I don't remember that. But, you know, it was a long time ago. Cool. Anyway, that's been my two days. <laughs> how far? How do you think you're just going to commit to this? Uh, well, it's weird, but we're going with it. Yeah, I mean, cool. I finished the refact, the main, re- the bulk of the refactoring. The last thing I want to do is we have actually. So I said three-ish passes because we also have two o- other traits, which are like all of the AST passes from the first trait sometimes with an additional tiny one and also it's slightly different because it's like oh but for insert i need to be able to you know i have this thing and i need to be able to get the list of columns that's referencing but that's dependent on the values i need need a different trait for that or with update it's because i use column dot my eq node my which is normally used for quality um Mm -hmm. but i want i wanted the syntax to look the same so you know column name dot eq value the column name cannot be qualified when it appears in in the set portion of an update statement so like i have my separate version of this trait which is basically the same trait but for update sql which is literally just overridden by eq to specifically when the ensure only the left side can only be a column and to not quote the column name right. which like i just want, i need to add part of what will be nice about this is once i merge my branch where i moved the two sql paths into this new structure uh, i can just very easily add on an additional context parameter 
mm-hmm. which is carried by that pass, but only by that pass. But I won't have to then go edit every single AST node to add this additional function parameter. Right. That's then just passed through blindly. So that I can have the column list context and do not quote column names context and whatever else, which is important because like uh, we don't support expression indexes in Postgres right now for mm-hmm. upsert. Because uh, when you reference a column in an index, you cannot qualify the column name. And when you're referencing an expression index as an upsert target, that string has to exactly match whatever the yep. whatever you uh, told Postgres it was when you created the index. And I didn't want to go create a new trait that was like two SQL for expression indexes and implement that for every single goddamn node in the AST. <laughs> <laughs> but now with this, it'll be much easier for me to just like right. in my on conflict target uh, node, or I guess I'd have to have a new node on expression, uh, and then just there when it pass when it passes the AST pass down, just change the context to be uh, don't quote column names, yeah, or don't qualify col- column names. Well, that discussion reminded me of two things: a SQL inserts are weird. Yeah, it's just so different than the syntax that you would think that they would be. Yep. <laughs> I would do like insert new record into table name set and it right. would be that's the main thing is having it be consistent with updates right. <laughs> instead of like here's a list of columns and then separately here's a list of values and then having to look at them and be like oh wait I transposed the order of these two things so now I'm going right. to be inserting the wrong thing here I don't know it's ridiculous and the second thing is as I've been on more projects that have a more up-to-date version of Postgres I find myself using upsert more and being like oh this is awesome yeah uh upsert is awesome upsert solves so many problems yeah so same with window functions like those are the two features I've been abusing the hell out of upsert and window (laughs) functions I feel like I gotta get more we've been doing these things in the Boston office like maybe once a month or so called we're, we're calling them lunch and learns and it's we invite developers from another company in Boston they come and like one of their developers will give a talk and then one of our developers will give a talk and Joe Ferris today gave a talk about spark which is like a data processing yeah. kind of thing by Apache and in it he made use of several window functions to do cool things and I was like I gotta get a better handle on these but then the, I, the, I mean I think the biggest the biggest use case for them for the majority of rails devs is just hey you have that query that's paginated you know how you're doing two queries one to get the value and one to get the total count with window functions you don't have to count star over open friend close friend bam <laughs> one query includes the total somebody make a gem that uh, lets us do that Oh, and the other thing, the folks we had in today were from Maxwell Health, which is a company in Boston, and they do a lot of Scala stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, they gave a talk about GraphQL and how they're using it. And it's like the second time I've talked to people who have been using GraphQL. And the more I see of it, the more I'm like, yeah, this would be awesome for any actual API. Yeah, just not implementing it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, they, they showed consuming it again, some more consuming it. And I was like, this is awesome. And we asked questions about like, what's it like from the implementing side? And it, the answer we got was like, I, I think it depends on where you're implementing it and what the tooling's like for those right. languages already. So I'm more curious to play with some of that stuff. I want to see it. And it was kind of funny as somebody who just gave a talk all about how REST is awesome. But it wasn't really about how REST was awesome. It was more about how like thinking in that way keeps you from doing terrible things in your Rails app. And that was the secret of the talk. So I don't feel bad about then saying, actually, GraphQL is really cool. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> I, I mean, it also just depends on who's consuming what. Right. And and like to be honest, the target of the talk I was giving, and I said this in the beginning, is that like most of the people in that room are probably working on one monolithic Rails app, right? 
Um, right. So like the API side concerns of a RESTful API are not particularly interesting. Like the whole, I don't know. Right. I mean, it's potentially right. It's the server rendered web app and then maybe a mobile app that consumes the same API. Right. But yeah, anyway, GraphQL. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to dig into this at some point. I feel like we're gonna have a GraphQL episode. Didn't we already have a GraphQL episode? <laughs> we talked about GraphQL when we had uh, Chris on to talk about uh, tell me when it closes because they use. Is that GraphQL. not enough of a GraphQL? No, episode? we need we need somebody to implement a GraphQL and then talk about that. All we right. consumed GraphQL. I'll open an issue to implement GraphQL on Crates.io and we'll, <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, this is my typical MO is uh, I want something done in the world. I talk about it on the podcast and then somebody else more motivated than I does it. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. Yeah. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 110. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm or leave a comment on our website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed and we'll see you next time. Hey, also, smarter people who know more about traditional AST implementations <laughs> than I do, I'm, the links to the pull requests are in the show notes. Come comment on, on how terrible my design is. Thanks. <laughs>